Well, hello, friends. It's so good to have you here. If you're a guest with us today, we are glad you're here. You're in the right place as we continue our series, GPS, Navigating a Life on Mission. Uh, before I jump into the message, a couple announcement-y type things. Uh, next week is our annual <clears throat> budget vote, where we vote on the 2020 budget. Copies of that are available this week, kind of at that door that way, and if the main door's out that way, there'll be people, if you're the kind of person who wants to read all that. If you want to read it in super detail, call the church office, stop by any time. Uh, our budget's unopened, it's not a secret, so you're welcome to look at it if you've got questions about the budget. Also, uh, the next bylaws meeting is Tuesday night. I know some of you have been wondering, is that the last one? Well, sort of. Uh, as I mentioned last week, we've had a really, uh, some really good uh, meetings so far, and some of those have led to some suggestions of three little changes that we want to make before we vote on the new set of bylaws, which means we're not going to have the bylaws vote this fall. We're going to take a minute, make those changes, and we'll kind of do the vote in the spring, which means if you're thinking, but wait, I saw the bylaws, how will I see the changes? Don't worry, we'll have a whole nother round of bylaws meetings in the spring. So we'll get to, so we'll have lots of opportunities, they're available here at the church, I promise we're not going to sneak this by you, but we are going to um, have finished the process we're in now with this draft, because there might be more suggestions, make some changes, and then we'll start that rollout process probably in January. February and vote sometime in the early spring. So I'll give you an update on that. Also remind you that today is the last day uh, for our Sunday night service. So we'll move back to five services starting uh, next week. All right. So we're talking about the, the GPS. The technology is pretty simple. If you get the destination set correctly and the tool is working properly, it will take you to the destination. You miss a turn, it'll just recalculate and still, as long as the destination is set and the tool is working, you will arrive where you are. And we've just said, in our life as followers of Christ, the destination for us got set by Jesus to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That is the destination for us as a church and for us individually. This is the mission we're put on. We don't get to go in there and kind of play with the buttons and set a different destination. But what that does mean is that along the way, many of us miss a turn or, or kind of get confused or lose our way or aren't paying attention, get, get listening to music and not listening to the GPS or something like that. And, and so often we do have to make a course correction in our life to just kind of say, okay, am I still aiming for the destination? We've said for us to be missionaries, we need conviction that we're called to be missionaries. And we need clarity to know in this season, in this moment, what is the mission field that God has given for us? Where are we supposed to put our gospel energies so that more disciples are made, more people are brought to faith in Jesus Christ? And, and we think that there's this helpful tool that can help us. And thankfully, it starts with the letters GPS. And we, we think if you want clarity about your mission field, you're looking for the intersection of these three things. God's gifts through you. What is it that God has allowed you to do that you might use for God's kingdom? God's priorities for you. What is it that God cares about that you also care about? Where does your heart beat in sync with God? And the third is God's story in you. What is the story that God has written in your life that might, that might open up a missionary opportunity today? 
And I think for a lot of us who are struggling with the clarity, maybe, maybe you're kind of in that place where you want to be a missionary and you're ready to say, I'm a missionary, and the conviction God needs is growing in you, but you don't have clarity about your mission field. I really think kind of spending some time with these three could help give you that. God's gifts, God's priorities, God's story. Last week, we focused on uh, the first two of those, God's gifts and God's priorities. Uh, There was a play involved, so if you missed it, uh, go check it out on uh, YouTube or Facebook or something like that. You might want to see it. It was was pretty amazing, if I do say so myself. Um, Yeah, there was a play involved. Um, But but more than that, we kind of ended with some questions, like just just real simple questions that might just kind of motivate this. And maybe we just said, if if you want God's Spirit to give you clarity, you could just spend some time in prayer with these questions. You could ask this question, God, what gifts do you want to give through me? Like most of us are pretty good at asking a different version of that question about the gifts we want God to give to us. That's not this question. This is the question, God, what gifts do you want to give through me, through my life and and, and through the the little time I have on earth, what gifts do you want to give through me? And maybe you could ask this question, God, where are you softening my heart to look a little more like your heart? Where are you helping me, God, love and care for the very people you love and care for? We we, kind of summed up the message last week. We put it together in one question, right? It's this question. God, what do you want done that I can do? Like if every morning you woke up with that question, okay, God, it's another day. Today, what do you want done, God, that I can do? And then if every day you could go to bed and say, I didn't do everything, God, and I messed up some of the things I did do, but I spent my whole day trying to do things that you wanted done. That'd be a pretty good day, wouldn't it? And you could just do that again and again. That'd be a pretty good life on mission with Jesus. So what we want to do today is we want to kind of bring in that third lens. Maybe you're still struggling with clarity, and and for a lot of people, this third lens is kind of the one that really helps them. Not in addition to knowing what God's gifts are and God's priorities are, the question we're asking is, what is the story that God has already been writing in your life or that God is writing right now? And, and, and what you'll discover is that by paying attention to the story God is writing in your life, it will open up a mission clarity that God wants you to have. You've already noticed this in the lives of other people. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe have any of you, you've gone through a grief and, and many people have tried to comfort you, and you know they were doing their best, but it sort of rang hollow. And then one person came, and it's like every word and everything they did, and they sat with you, it's like everything about their comfort was so real and rich, and you wonder to yourself, what is it that made their ministry to you so much more effective than everybody else's? And you discover, oh, it's because they also have gone through great grief. And God has redeemed their grief to open up a ministry now that that somebody else just couldn't have because it flows out of the reality of their story. Or, Or maybe you've seen it happen in the story of somebody's present. I saw this happen. It'd been several years ago. We were living in Maryland. A guy got put in the hospital and pretty quickly the doctors were clear to him that he was gonna be in the hospital for a long time and that he probably wouldn't leave that hospital. It might be months, but he probably would never be sent home, uh, and he probably would be there a long time. And so he just knew. 
His story made clear to him what his mission field was. And so for the months that he was there, he with, with great mission clarity, he made his mission field the doctors and nurses and volunteers and visitors that were his little world. It was the same little crew that rotated through day after day and he knew their schedule better than they did and he knew their lives and he began to pray for them. I went to the funeral of that man some several months later and of all the people who shared, the one that just left me undone was when one of the nurses got up who had been baptized just three weeks previous. They did the baptism in the man's hospital room so he could witness the baptism of the person he'd brought to faith through the ministry in that hospital room. How could he have known that that hospital room was his mission field? Was he especially gifted at reaching nurses? No. Did he have a special passion for medical professionals? No. But he had mission clarity because his story of his life had brought him to a place where it was the only mission field he had. And if it's the only mission field he had, you've got, then that's your mission field. And this happens in Scripture and in your life all over the place. Look with me at how, where it happens in Scripture, just so you know I'm not making this up. As some of you may know the story of a woman named Esther. She gets a whole book of the Bible named after her. If you don't know the story, I'll kind of give you the broad strokes. Uh, there was a, a Persian king who got mad at his wife, and so he got rid of her. And he held sort of an elaborate beauty contest slash dancing with the stars event to choose a new queen. And Esther, who was a Jew, she won the contest of sorts and became the new queen. Not long after that, one of this king's high officials got mad at the Jews and convinced the king to pass a law that all the Jews were to be killed. It was some weeks before it went into effect. Esther's uncle sent a message to her asking Esther to intercede with the king to try to prevent this law from going into effect. Esther wrote back this reply. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But it's been 30 days since I was called to the king. She says, I don't even think he wants me around anymore. And if I just show up uninvited, he'll just kill me. We know what he did to the last queen. When Mordecai got the word, he sent a message back. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. God's going to take care of us, Mordecai says. But you and your father's family, uh, which includes Mordecai, will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. He says, don't you see, Esther? God has written your story to be the most remarkable thing. Maybe this is the reason you won the beauty pageant. Maybe your whole story has been orchestrated so that in this moment, this mission field will be open to you. Esther writes back, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. 
I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. How did Esther know this was her mission field? Because her story had left an opportunity open to her that was open to no one else. If she did not accept this mission, no one could. And this happens all throughout Scripture. We're studying the story of Joseph right now in my senior high guys small group Bible study. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph's story is completely out of control. Well, it's out of his control. It turns out it's completely under God's control. But you wouldn't know it. You read the story. One minute he's a favored son. The next minute he's trafficked property. Then he's an important slave. Then he's falsely accused and thrown in a dungeon. Pretty soon he's the master of the prison. Then he's the master of Egypt. And then he's reunited with his family. The story is just all over the place with one common denominator. Wherever that story takes Joseph, it becomes his mission field. And he serves, and he gives, and he ministers in the name of his God. Genesis 39 is sort of the center of that story. I love, uh, I love the last verse of Genesis 39. See, see the, Genesis 39 is a crazy chapter. It starts when he's sold as a slave, and then he works his way up as a slave, and then he's falsely accused of a crime, and then he's thrown in a dungeon where he's forgotten and left to rot. And the last verse of that chapter, the one where you go from being a slave to falsely accused to rotting in a dungeon, the last verse of that chapter is this. The Lord was with Joseph, Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. I love that verse. Gave him success by what definition of his favored son to trafficked slave to imprisoner left forgotten in a dungeon? By what definition is that success? Well, you read the text, it's clear. The success God gave Joseph was the success of accomplishing the mission of God wherever his story led him. We see this happen just again, again, Paul is probably the master of this. Uh, this dude named Paul was an early follower of Christ. He wrote a whole bunch of the Bible. He planted a whole bunch of churches. He was probably the most effective missionary in the first century of the church. And his entire mission was driven by being faithful to the implications of his story. Sometimes it was the story of his past. Sometimes the the chapters of his story he'd already gone through. Uh, One of the things you see Paul do is wherever he goes, he walks into the synagogue and just starts teaching or debating with the leaders who are there. Have you ever wondered why they would let Paul do that? What, What credential would allow Paul to wherever he shows up just start teaching in their synagogues? Well, it's because Paul studied at the most important rabbinical school in the whole world of that day. He studied under the teacher Gamaliel. He was a well-educated, well-credentialed rabbinical teacher. Some of you have a piece of paper like that, a piece of paper that proves you've learned a lot or you have some degree. God bless that piece of paper as long as what you're using it for is to open a door of mission and ministry that I couldn't go through. Some of you go down on medical mission trips, you know, and you're fixing people's teeth and whatnot. They never invite me to go on those. 
that's because I don't know anything about teeth, but some of y'all do. And so make sure if you've got a thing like that, Paul had a thing like that, and that bit of his story opened an opportunity for mission that, that nobody else had, and so he went into it. It was also, of course, the story of Paul's present that opened mission. I, 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 love, I love this. Paul, he's on a mission, he's got a preaching plan, and then he gets thrown in prison. So what does he do? He converts the jailer and baptizes the Roman guards. How did Paul know that prison was his mission field? Because that's where his story took him. Or, or, or he's on his way to Rome. Paul's been trying to get to Rome for five years. Finally, he's booked free passage on a Roman uh, prison ship. He's a prisoner, so anyways. But anyways, he's booked free passage on a Roman prison ship all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. He's finally going to make it. And then they're shipwrecked in Malta. I think if it were me, I would sit there on the beach and say, my mission has been ruined. But not Paul. Paul just thinks my mission field has been clarified. For Paul, if the synagogue lets him in, that's his mission field. If the synagogue kicks him out, then the street in front of the synagogue is his mission field. If there is no synagogue, but he finds some nice people by a river, then that is his mission field. If you were to ask Paul, Paul, how can you tell when God has opened up a new mission field for you to minister in? I think his answer would just be, well, whenever God puts me in a new place, then that's my new mission field. Half the cities Paul went to, Paul went to because the previous city ran him out of town. He didn't plan to go to that next city. He was chased to that next city. And as soon as he walks in, he's like, all right, this is my mission field. You see, Paul had mission clarity throughout his life because he operated at the intersection of God's gifts through him, God's priorities for him to announce the gospel, and the ongoing story that God was writing in Paul's life. The story of his roots. Sometimes, sometimes Paul will open a door of ministry just by appealing to his birth. He was born a Roman citizen. That gave him privileges and opportunities that other people didn't have. So, so some of you were born with privilege. Great. The only question is, are you going to use it to advance the gospel or are you going to use it for your own blessing? Because Paul was born with privilege and he used it every minute to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. The key to mission clarity is honestly reflecting. Just, just asking God, okay God, what about the story of my life opens a mission field that might be closed for somebody else? What about the story of my life opens a mission field that might be closed for somebody else? It could be about the chapters of your life you've already lived through, you know? Um, Paul even leveraged the fact that he used to kill Christians for a living. He would leverage that for mission. Maybe you have a chapter in your life that you're a little bit embarrassed about, but it would open up an opportunity for mission if you would just let some people in and tell your story. Or maybe it's grief that you've suffered or loss that you've experienced or, or you know, hovering on the pain of death with an illness. You, you might know the name, some of you, the name Chuck Colson. Some of you wouldn't have heard of him. But if you've heard of Chuck Colson, uh, you've heard of him for one of two reasons. You've either heard of him because he founded the largest prison ministry in the world called Prison Fellowship. I've volunteered for it. Some of you might have too. It's an amazing ministry. Baptized hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. 
Or you've heard of Chuck Colson because of the time he spent in a federal prison uh, for, because of his role in the Watergate scandal. One of the two reasons. I doubt you've heard of Chuck Colson for any other reason. You see, Chuck Colson got sent to prison two times. He got sent once by the federal government because he did a bunch of crimes to try and rig an election. He got sent a second time by Jesus Christ because God knew how to redeem his story and turn it into this amazing ministry that hundreds of thousands have been saved through. See, see, maybe that is your mission field. It could be that the part of your story you're the most disappointed in and the most embarrassed about is the thing God wants to turn around and use to unlock a mission field that would be open to you. That's the thing I just want to know. What mission field does your story make possible for you that wouldn't be possible for somebody else? It might not be your past story. It might be your present story. That happens to people too. Like Paul, he gets thrown in prison. Okay, I guess I got a mission field. Here we are. Or like that guy who got put in the hospital. And even though he had other kinds of gifts and other kinds of passions, he knew that for that season, that was his mission field because it was the only place he could go. And some of you are in a present moment of your story like that. We were talking about this stuff in our staff meeting on Wednesday. We're praying about this as a staff because we too are going to make a commitment to be missionaries with, along with you uh, next, next week. And uh, one of the people I was sitting with and praying with, we were talking on the table, she just mentioned, you know, I have just moved into a brand new neighborhood. And, and there are mission opportunities around being new to a neighborhood that you don't have when you've been there five years. You know what I'm saying? You've got an excuse, don't you? When you're brand new, you've got an excuse to go knock on a few doors and bake people some banana bread, invite people over to your house and throw a little party and start some new traditions. And, and, and maybe you've got an opportunity. I mean, for some of you, Christmas gives you that kind of mission opportunity. Just, just the fact that you're a Christmassy person. You could host a Christmas party and people would come to your Christmas party who wouldn't come to your house for some other reason. And just, just, just the natural story of your life creates a mission opportunity. I'll just say, some of you are parents. I just want to be clear. The friendships you make through your kids with their friends and with their friends' parents, that is a golden opportunity for mission. But that's a window that closes, okay? Some of you are parents of young kids. I, please... Don't tell yourself that you're going to leverage that mission opportunity in a year or two or three or four. That is a recipe for a life filled with regret. Some of the most amazing mission opportunities I've had have been sitting on park benches watching my kid play with some other parent's kid. And in just in the midst of that, we start talking about parenting and life and values and what matters. And oh, I, I, I invited a, church to, a person to church once. The conversation started with, what are you doing for child care these days? We have so much trouble with child care. And I didn't even think. I just said, oh, well, the people in my small group mainly do it, mostly for free. And they said back to me, what's a small group? And we went, one thing led to another, and one thing led to another, and two or three weeks later, they visited the church. You've got a mission opportunity that opens up when you're in those parenting years, and, and that mission will soon close. Students, I want to be super clear. Some of y'all in middle school, you've got access to that mission field for three years. You're either going to make the most of it or you're going to squander it and regret it for the rest of your life. Some of y'all in high school, you've got four years, okay? Would you have a strategy for leveraging the gifts God has given you and the priorities you have and the place your story has led you to to make the most of that ministry? I see some college students here looking around, 
Most of y'all got five and a half years, okay? You got five and a half years. Some of you six or seven, but don't, make, don't get lazy just because you got more time. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But that's a mission field that you have access to in a way nobody else has access to. I promise if I showed up on your college campus and went and sat down in your cafeteria, they would not think I was one of the fellow students. I know I look young for my age, but not that young. Okay, they would recognize I'm the old guy and it would be awkward. Nobody would sit down and ask me how finals are going or how midterms were or anything like that. You have access, you have missionary access nobody else has. I had a friend six or seven years ago. Uh, he retired at 62, a little early, still in great health. He lived not far down the road from us and had the most amazing garden. He was my Harford County, Maryland garden expert. Taught me how to translate all the things I learned down here and what would work up there in Harford County. I loved his yard. I loved him. He told me, though, that he was going to sell his house and move into a brand new, giant, uh, 60 and older, gated living community. It was going to have 10,000 residents when it opened, and it was going to expand from there. Big thing had walls and gates around it, had a golf course on the inside. A person my age couldn't even get in unless your name was on the list by somebody who was one of the residents. If you invited a family with kids to come, they could stay a maximum of three days. I mean, this place was serious about locking out all the young folk. They wanted nothing to do with them. He told me he was moving there to this little tiny condo. I got worried at first. I assumed he must have gotten sick because he was a great gardener and a, he split wood and he, he was just this real outdoorsman of a guy. I said, how are you going to move into that little tiny condo and all this? He said, for the past couple years, I've been driving by this place on my commute, watching it being built. And I saw the signs that advertised 60 and older, active living community, nobody else was going to be allowed to enter. I went on the website and read how restrictive it was. And I just got thinking, more than 10,000 people are going to live inside those walls. And you took the committee, you couldn't even go there and preach the gospel to them. You couldn't go there and lead a Bible study. You couldn't go there and share your faith. You, we, we couldn't plant a church there. You couldn't do anything. And he said, I just figured somebody who had access, who could get through the gate, ought to go. A few weeks later, he launched a Bible study. A few weeks after that, he launched his second. A couple months after that, they launched his fourth. Last time I did anything with him, it was to help him rent a portable baptistry. And they were going to be gathering hundreds of people to do some baptisms right there inside that retirement community. You see, he, his story had led him to a place where he had access to a mission field that, that nobody else did. Now, I don't have a story quite that good for my life. But here's what I do know. As I look back on my life, my greatest satisfactions in life are when God opened a window of mission and I did everything I could to walk through it. And my biggest regrets in life are when God used the story of my life to open an opportunity for mission that nobody else could take, that I had access to, and I didn't walk through. Some of you need to experience the urgency of your present situation. You need to experience the urgency that the chapter of your life that you are in right now has missionary opportunities attached to it that will soon be snatched away from you. 
And either you will have done everything you could to seize that moment for the gospel while you could. Or you may in fact regret it for the rest of your life. I can tell you the names. In fact, I remember the names of the people where I missed the opportunity better than the names of the people where I took it. Because of your story, because of your story, you have opportunities for mission that nobody else has. You have opened doors to places nobody else can go. You have people who would listen to you share the gospel who would never even meet with me. People tell me every once in a while, I sure wish my friend would meet with you so you could tell them about God's love or tell them about the hope we have in Jesus. And the only response I have is they probably never will unless they meet with you first. You're the one who has the opportunity to take the gospel to those places because of the story God has written in your life and nobody else does. Next week, we're going to have a chance, I hope, for everybody in this church to just say, come forward, let us pray for you and just say, I'm a missionary and my mission field is, and you're going to name it. And you're going to have that kind of clarity when you're at the intersection of the gifts God wants to give through you, the priorities God has given for you, and the story God is right now writing your life. Let's pray. Gracious God, we want to be ready, ready to say yes to your call. And so I just ask that over this coming week, you would foster some spiritual conversations in our homes. Bring, bring groups of friends together to, to wrestle with this. Bring husbands and wives together to wrestle with this. Bring brothers and sisters and moms and dads and kids and families and everybody else together to wrestle with what are you calling us to do? What about our story opens up an opportunity for mission that we close to anybody else, but it's right there for us to step into with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as that clarity builds, God, that conviction would rise along with it and that we would be ready as your church next week to just say we're in, we're on mission, we know what our mission field is and we're headed toward it. In Jesus' name we ask all this. Amen.